Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and recently, Carrie Baldwin, one of my co-authors of the book Faith Seeking Freedom, and I were able to join Mike Meharry on the Godarchy podcast to talk about the book, and it was such a great interview, I thought I would share it with you. So this episode is going to be a recording from the Godarchy podcast with Carrie Baldwin and yours truly. Enjoy. All right, so I am here with Carrie Baldwin and Doug Stewart, my Good friends. Carrie's been on the show before talking about abortion. Doug, have you been on the show? I don't think you've been on the yeah, show. Yeah, we did across. Remember, we did that. We That's interrupted right, we each did. other at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So should never Christians, mind. How that. should Christians talk about politics or something? I don't know. But you, but you kids have written a book. So that's pretty cool. Mm. Yes, we have. And I've, I gave a little bit of intro to the book in the intro to the show, Faith Seeking Freedom, Libertarian Christian Answers to Tough Questions. But the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, how can you even do this book? Because from what I've been told, Libertarian and Christian can't go together. I mean, you can't have those two things. <laughs> That's what a lot of people think, Mike. <laughs> well, yes. so or, how did you write? How did you write a book about it? I, I'm I'm flummoxed. Oh man! Well, we we wrote a book because we're very strongly believe that actually libertarianism is the most consistent expression of Christian political thought. So if Ooh. you're thinking consistently as a Christian through the scriptures, and, and I would make the case that almost any Orthodox Christian denomination or or would you call it i call it flavors tradition or stream of faith could um you can make an argument from libertarianism from any of those sort of angles now we don't do that in the book here but that's right. that's where i come from is that you know what no matter what kind of christian you are there's a better case for libertarianism than there is for what we would call the left or the right in america today so what was the genesis of the book i mean how did you guys Decide. And I know you aren't the only two authors. You're two of four, but right. um, how did this project kind of come together? Yeah. Um, so about, I don't know, four or five years ago, Norman, who founded the Libertarian Christian Institute, and I were getting lots and lots of questions. And we were just like, you know, we should really, really beef up our FAQ section, you know, really just go all out and work on it. And as we started to sort of prep for doing that, we realized we got a book on our hands. And then about two years ago, so we started working on it a little bit and just sort of like, yeah, it'd be nice if we had, you know, if we were able to do that someday. And then about two years ago, we had an executive retreat, which is to say Norman came to my house for three days. And we <laughs> sat around and we talked about the plans for, I guess it would have been 2019 at that point. And like, hey, what are we going to get done? And what we did was we put together this sort of outline. It's like, how would we go through and ask tough questions that we we often get. And what kind of book would this even look like? And what we were inspired by was Mary Ruart's Short Answers to Tough Questions for Libertarians. Mm -hmm. And the idea there was she wrote a book, and her book is actually even more succinct than ours with a lot of the common questions because it's meant to be more of jumping off slash talking points for candidates to be able to sort of refer to when they're being asked you know, hey, what about what about the drug war? What about, you know, prostitution? You know, who would pave the roads? You know, back before Domino's was doing that. Um, <laughs> and so it was it was meant to be, you know, kind of short like that. Well, we didn't want to fully copy her book, but we were very much inspired by it. 
So we thought, hey, let's do let's do a book where we do 100 questions in 200 words or less or fewer, I guess. And uh, if I'm being grammatically correct. Hmm. And so we set out and did that outline two years ago at the executive retreat I just mentioned. And we came up with about 10 to 12 different sort of themes. We came up with questions in between them. And then the project kind of sat a bit. Like we kind of slowly worked at some of the material. And then the end of last year, we were like, all right, we got to really get moving on this. And so we put together a plan and we invited Carrie and Dick to be a part of it. They were very excited to join us in doing that because, I mean, Norman and I can't do this alone. And you'll see why when we get to talk about abortion. Uh, that's why Carrie's <laughs> on here with us because she's got the take on abortion yeah. here. Anyway, so that's where it started. So we've been working on it most of 2020, just a tad into 2019, the tail end of 2019 kind of started, got rolling as it were. And so we've been, I mean, we've all been at home doing home at work anyway, or working home anyway this year. So uh, that's part of what the four of us have been doing. Yep. So the format, and for people who... I don't, I don't know if I made this clear or not, but the format is is question and answer. And I think the format works fantastic. I've, mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to read the pre-release and, and it's really good. And it's one of those things that you can, you can either read it, like you can start at the beginning and it really kind of does build on like building blocks. You know, you kind of, you start, you start with the very basics. I mean, the, the very first one is why should I care about politics is the first section. And, uh, the, the very first question, politics isn't a gospel issue, so why should I be concerned about politics? So you you get start with that very basic thing, and then it kind of builds. But you can also pick and choose. Like, you could start in the middle of the book if you wanted to. So I, I think that's kind of a nice, you know, it's, it's a good reference book. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask why you chose this format, but you already answered that question, so we can skip that. <laughs> but one thing I'm curious about, you have uh, you have four authors, in effect, how did that work? Was it difficult having four cooks in the kitchen? How did you divide up the, the very, did you divide it up by sections and said, you take this, you take this, or did you collaborate? How, how did that work? Yeah, no, what, uh, what we did was we, we had that Excel spreadsheet and we basically went through and we rated each question to say which ones we thought we would be the strongest on. Mm-hmm. So after we went through that, then Doug and Norm went through and sort of assigned questions based on that. So we were already answering questions that were our own strong suits. Right. So as things went along, things got moved around, just, you know, refined a little bit. Um, We added a few questions here and there. We did all, you know, look through each other's answers and, and, you know, provided ideas, suggestions for, for how to improve it. But, you know, basically we just started with each other's strengths and went from there. Yeah. It's interesting because, to me, having four people collaborating on a book, and I've collaborated with one other person, that's difficult enough. I could see that being a train wreck. But when you read it, it's very, very consistent. Like you, you cannot, it doesn't look like, you know, you took four things and threw them in a hat and then glued them together. Mm-hmm. It's a very cohesive, mm-hmm. both yeah. in, in substance and style. So that's a, that's a kudos for you guys to be able to, uh, that says a lot for your ability to work together. I thought there would be too many cooks in the kitchen when we started. I was like, oh, how's this going to work? Like, we don't really know. And honestly, I think the thing that made it a little bit more, I wouldn't say problematic, but the the hiccups that we ran into were partly scheduling. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like some person would be like, all right, I'm really swamped for about three weeks because of my job. 
and then they get to jump in and sort of do their thing and the other people are kind of swamped. Right. And so there was just like, it, it probably took a month longer than we sort of proposed or suspected it would take just because things came up, you know? I mean, stuff that, forget 2020 things happening, just stuff came up, right? And right. Life came life. up and things got, right. yeah, life was happening. So outside of that, I mean, I felt like it was a really good flow. I mean, we kind of stayed in our lane for the most part and then we collaborated where we had to. One, one of the things that worked well with the collaboration was that most of the time, Carrie, I don't, I think I'm correct in saying all this, is that there were probably no more than two authors in any given section for the most part. Yeah. And so like, I think it was the section on immigration. Dick and I were wrote most of that. Mm-hmm. And because there were a few questions that he was way better at writing, but I wanted to cover the others. And so we just, you know, stayed together on that. But for the most part, it was, uh, it was a lot more seamless than I actually expected. Yeah. Well, and I think, first of all, I think the four of us just worked together really well to begin with, but we're all also coming from a similar place when it comes to libertarian philosophy itself. Right. So we didn't have to, you know, we didn't have to duke it out the way, the way some, some libertarians (laughs) have a tendency to do. So I think our foundations were all generally good. I think our instincts, intuition were all generally cohesive. I mean, the four of us each come from different theological backgrounds, which is interesting. And yet we were actually able to come to an agreement about how to present the theological aspects of it too mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you just dove, see, you guys are like reading my mind because you just dovetailed into my next question. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> because I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I know y'all pretty well. I mean, I, I don't know you intimately, but I feel like I'm on the same page with you guys as well as, as on the libertarian thought. I feel like that we're all, but I do know that there's definitely different theological traditions that, that we're all coming from. And as I read this, I felt like that no matter where you are in the broader Christian tradition, you're probably going to be comfortable with 99% of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't find anything that from a theological perspective made me go, huh. <laughs> um, and so I was curious, how did you navigate that? Because, you know, I know from posting things in the Libertarian Christian Institute group, you know, you can start a theological argument with the, with the drop of a hat, you know, things that you didn't even expect. You're like, oh, wait a yeah. minute, I didn't even want to get <laughs> How did you navigate that? I know there, I, I, I've seen some back and forth on a, on a few things with, with some various, uh, various wordings and language. Yeah, how did you yeah. guys, how did you guys uh, navigate all that? Well, I mean, my my first instinct is to sort of reveal that we actually had a few of those as we were going through and editing. Yeah. Um, and we, we made did. sure that, that that wouldn't happen. So there were a handful of places. I mean, we got a few. And, and it's not a whole lot, but we had some people who were really good libertarians that we trusted, that we are either friends with or work closely with in you know, other ways. And they looked through it and they're like, hey, are you going to exclude X group? by saying it this way, or can you say it a different way in which right. they can be okay with that and also it won't exclude, it, like, other people won't be like, well, why'd you put it that way or whatever? And we're talking about, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sort of reveal the the tradition they come from per se, right. but we're talking about two different, at least two in my experience and memory right now, of kind of opposite ends of the Christian spectrum, if you will, mm-hmm. on a particular theological issue. So it's like, or on most theological issues. So LCI has been aiming as best we can to be as ecumenical as possible right. with, you know, an adherence to the Orthodox creeds. And we we knew that this would be something that we needed to be paying attention to. And so we had 
we had good people reading our work before it went published. Yes. <laughs> I think you did a great job. I mean, honestly, it's it like I said, and I mean, I'll, I will grant you, I, I, I'm a theological mutt. So I come from like, <laughs> I grew up in the Episcopal church and then I spent most of my young adult life in Baptist churches and I'm yeah. in a Methodist church. And so I've got, I'm not real dogmatic about, about things theological, but yeah, like I said, reading it, I felt like anybody who is in, in the Orthodox tradition from, you know, from Orthodox to Catholic to mainstream Protestant is probably going to be pretty comfortable with what they're reading in terms of theology. That was just my gut impression of it. Well, and I think, you know, LCI and, and especially the four authors, Norm, Doug, Dick, and I, I think one, one of our strengths is actually you know, coming together in agreement on those, on those ancient creeds and, and using that as our foundation to start with, and also just respecting each other as far as our differences are concerned. And also recognizing that, you know, LCI has a much bigger vision than just promoting one theological defense of libertarianism over, over another. And there are certainly, and we've had these conversations, there are certainly um, different ways that one of us might defend libertarianism from our particular theological tradition. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have so much common ground that we wanted to focus on, you know, the common ground that we do have so that the book would be cohesive and and could appeal to, you know, different traditions on the basis of of those those ancient creeds that bind us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Mike, what we really want to communicate is that all we need is unity in our world. <laughs> okay, that's a little bit of sarcasm there, because that's what everybody said. We just need to unite, oh, come man. together, and well, heal. That, that went left real fast. Uh, <laughs> see, what, see what I did there? Oh. Like, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I don't want to get too far off the subject, no, no. but I'm I'm amazed at the number of people. You know, the 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 Biden camp, and I don't have any pony in in the political race. I couldn't care less who the president is, but. It's it's amazing all of a sudden, you know, these people that have been calling us, uh, not us, but calling the other side Nazis for the last four years are suddenly saying, oh, we need to be nice to each other now. It's yeah. like, I don't really think that's going to happen. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, well, you know, I think... I think the benefit of, of LCI and having different theological traditions is that we can be united on our common ground and also respect our differences. I think the sure. problem with... You know, this idea of now we have to be united now that Biden's the president. You know, what that's really saying is now we all have to agree with one another. And, right. you know, we aren't saying yeah. that as libertarians. We're saying, no, the diversity of, of opinions is is valuable and necessary. And you can't actually do this by by finding ground, but also respecting each other's differences. Right, exactly. So there are, gosh, I don't remember how many questions. There are like 102. 102. 102. Yeah. Yes, which is pretty amazing when you think about Actually, it. Actually, there are more than 102. There are. We just haven't, we, we haven't released all of them yet. There are only 102 that are part of the book. Yeah. Ah, nice. We came, you know, we did come up with questions as we were going. We were like, well, this needs to be addressed and this needs to be addressed. Right, but there and then just questions, like, questions beget questions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I will say this, I, I was kind of rereading through the book to look for things to pull out and make some graphics out of for for the launch team. And I was like, oh, you know what? There's kind of a question in a question here that that sort of our answer 
sort of asks a sub question. So yeah. there's at least 102 in there. There's 102 official questions. Right. And so, you know, just like any good like software developer, you know, we leave, you know, some features for future releases. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, if we do another 98 questions to get the 200, then, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to res- stop somewhere. We could have added like 40 more questions, really. Yeah. But we obviously knew that we wanted to keep it succinct and, sure. and write the book this year. <laughs> so this is a question I, w- I want each of you to answer. And you can answer whichever, whichever one you want us to go first. But as you were working, what was the toughest question for you personally that you worked on? What was the hardest one to, to come up with the answer that you were comfortable with presenting? Mm. Hmm. The hardest question. I have to look through the table of contents here. I know. They don't I need to. Look, to so I, I don't need remember. To, you don't I need remember to look all 102 questions, do you? Well, I, I do. So I'm reading through the book again, right? And I'm just yeah. like, and it's been, a, I don't know, a good two months. I mean, we've been working on formatting and some other things on this. And so I'm like, all right, let me read through this again. And I read a, a question. I was like, oh, that's a really good answer. Oh, I wrote that. That's really uh, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, so I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a really good question. Oh, Dick, I, I think Dick wrote that one. That's a really good one. And then I read yeah. the next question. I'm like, oh, that's a good one too. Oh, I wrote that. Um, yeah. So I have to like, we don't actually. Like, the readers aren't going to know who wrote what, other than no, absolutely not. Other than that's they'll know which it's one it's Carrie very wrote cohesive. For, uh, on the abortion section, right. but Basic, yeah. basically, outside of that, you don't really know. Yeah, I would say that the hardest one for me to write was the one that talked about suicide and assisted suicide. Oh yeah, mm. just because. You know, that's such a, it's already such a touchy topic and I'm very familiar with, with trauma and people who have explored suicide and things like that. And, you know, yet on the other hand, there is the conservative view of, of suicide and of course the Christian view that it's a sin. Right. And so, you know, handling that question was tough because it's a deeply emotional question. You have lots of people who are deeply touched by it on both sides, both sides of it, you know, whether they're suffering from a terminal illness that they have no hope of ever getting better from, or, you know, just life circumstances have, have completely overwhelmed them. So I'd say that was probably the toughest hmm. question for me to write. Yeah, that's a, that, that is a tough one. My, my grandfather he did unassisted suicide when he, and he said he was going to do it when he was about 84, 85. He said, when I get to the point that I can't take care of myself, I'm checking out. And we were like, no, nah, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> he sh- and he sure enough did. And so, mm. yeah, wow. I've, and then of course he, he was Orthodox and, and they take a very strong mm-hmm. position on suicide and basically that it's unforgivable sin. So mm. they didn't really even want to do his funeral. So that was, mm. that's a tough one. I I think probably just from a theological standpoint, the moment where I sort of saw suicide in a different light was actually watching the movie. Well, they've done several movies on Martin Luther, but there's a particular one that they they did on Martin Luther. I think Ralph Fiennes played Luther. And there was this scene where a child had had committed suicide. And of course, the the parents were very traumatized and, and grieved by that. And this was a child who was in poverty, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in this scene, Martin Luther decides, you know, against <laughs> the tradition of the Catholic Church, which was to see suicide as this unforgivable sin. You know, he treated that family with the greatest respect. He, mm-hmm. um, you know, he gave them 
a a funeral and burial and and death rites that that the church would give any other person. He really had compassion on that family, and it was so controversial at the time. Like it was right. like Luther, what are you doing? And you know, he wanted to point out that part of the way the church was was treating suicide at that time, instead of treating it as a tragedy, it was you know giving way, giving giving into uh, the devil's lies about mm-hmm. what suicide is and something that you know you have to not be compassionate about. So I think that was the that was the first time where I sort of stepped back theologically and was like, okay, let's let's reevaluate how we how we treat this. Like, yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, we right. consider murder a sin, but there's right. so much more that goes into this. So what about you, Doug? What's your toughie? You're not gonna flake out with the <laughs> oh, my my answers were so good. <laughs> no, I can't I can't say that. Um there were the, so the two two things come to mind. The first one was any question that sort of whose answer relied on some empirical data. Mm. Right. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about some of the immigration questions because some of the questions regarding immigration aren't really about ethics, morals, how should we treat the foreigner, that kind of stuff, and right. they're certainly not biblical because I don't think any Christian can read the Bible and think we should be anti-immigrant. So the matter uh-huh. at that point has to do with like logistics. Right, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I of course rely heavily on people like Brian Kaplan and Jason mm-hmm. Brennan on, on those things. So I had to spend a little bit more time answering those questions by doing a little bit more research and yeah. kind of, and then figuring out how do I do this in two hundred words succinctly say what's the issue with like open borders happening, wouldn't that mean an influx of people and sort of dealing with that particular answer? Because that's right. there's no like Christian version of that answer. It's just right. that there's some econometrics and, you know, economic, sociological stuff. So there was that element. But in terms of like sitting down, staring at the question and saying, how am I going to answer this sort of thing? It's the two questions on Acts 2 where the early church held all things in common. And right. the reason is not because I don't really have a good answer. It's just that, my answer is like, yeah, so what? They held all things in common. <laughs> I can't yeah. say that. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Like, how is that even relevant? You know, right. to, to say, like, to, there are questions in here, and I, I don't mean to be snarky. Well, maybe I do a little bit, but uh, there are questions. That, when I asked you, Mike, about the Constitution and about uh, the living Constitution, you were like, it's stupid just because it is. <laughs> right. And you like exactly. stopped. And I'm like, well, okay. So I'm, I'm going to do mine here. Some questions, just like, why on earth are these questions, right? Yeah. You know, like, who will build the roads? We kind of roll our eyes. It's actually a joke now, you know, in libertarian right. circles. We, you know, we we start filling in the blanks. Well, but right. who would... Yeah. Do we have jail, to endorse prostitution? Who would jail people feeding the poor if it weren't for government? <laughs> right. right. So the question about Acts 2 is like how they held all things in common. Because you, you look at a scene there, there's a story, they're coming together, they're selling their possessions, which looks like they're sort of disbanding their own right to private property, if you will. But what people kind of miss is, first of all, like where on earth in the Bible does it say this is how the entire world should operate, right? right? And it's just like, you have to think beyond the first like, oh, well, there it is right there in the Bible. So there, There's people doing it. There's people doing socialism. Well, if doing socialism is like you and your 50 to 100 friends coming together and sharing all things in common, all right, fine. You can't scale that up, right? Right, and 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 that's not what socialism really is. Yeah, you know, right. okay. It, it sort of looks like that's what you want socialism to look like, but that's not what socialism actually looks like. Um, so anyway, it's just it was sort of like this irritation that I had to like, 
do you had more to than roll the, my had, eyes. Right. You had to answer the question in a serious way when you're in your brain. Yes, you're thinking, that's this exactly is right. That's what made it difficult. And I didn't, I <laughs> yeah. couldn't just roll my eyes and say next question. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know that with that question, there's, there's also that voluntary aspect. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I started narrating one of Rose Wilder Lane's books. Uh, I think it's Give Me Liberty. And uh, where she's, she's in Russia, inter, you know, talking to some people out there, some socialists, right? They're they're Christian socialists, but they aren't statist socialists. And they actually have this, she's she's interviewing them and they are conveying to them to her their complaint about state socialism and how state socialism is getting in the way of just the way they have voluntarily chosen to operate. Hmm. So at any rate, you know, it's like, and I've had these conversations, I had one just on Sunday with somebody on Twitter about whether or not the Bible ever condones theft, right? If there's Hmm. ever a gray area with theft. And of course he's speaking of taxation. Right. And um, he brings up these ideas of, of tithing and, and rendering unto Caesar and all of this. And I'm like, okay, but tithing is voluntary. Rendering to Caesar, that's something that's, that's due. So you're, you're not, you know, if it's, if it's owed, it's owed. It's not, it's not theft. Right. So yeah, it's interesting how people can so easily take these questions and infer something or read into, into them something that isn't actually yeah. there. I think Doug hit on something that's, that's important too, and, and that is handled in the book. You know, when we're talking about libertarianism and Christianity, we're talking about a political philosophy and a religious doctrine or, you know, religious framework. And there are some things that just aren't religious that are part of libertarianism and they are what they are. And that's things like economics, you know, I mean, supply and demand is a thing. It's not a biblical thing. It's just a thing. And those kind of things have to be reckoned with as Christians. You know, we have to reckon with physics. We have to reckon with science. We have to reckon with economics. And, And I think a lot of times, you know, folks want to pretend like the, the question of of the uh, the everybody sharing everything in common. You can't extrapolate that into an economic principle because then it fails to work. Because there is this thing called economics, which tells right. you that this is not going to work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and and so you're not just talking. You know, this isn't just a, a theological thing. This is this is also a political philosophy, which is rooted in economics and and. Yeah. Uh, political ethics, which of course flow into biblical ethics. But I I get frustrated with people who want to try to filter everything through a biblical framework when the Bible is not a science book. It is not an economics book. It speaks to these things and it speaks to the ethics and morals of those things. But I'm not going to learn about supply and demand and uh, the uh, knowledge problem by by reading Genesis. <laughs> you know, <it's> just, <laughs> yeah. Mike, I, I have sort of the same frustration. You know, I notice that and with without getting into the like actual issue of, you know, origins and stuff like that, you know, the left, uh, left-leaning Christians have absolutely no problem with looking at the scripture and saying, oh, but science tells us differently. Right. And so we need to sort of have a dual informed, like, you know, belief about the origin of the world, they're able to say, and and I think in, in this particular case, I'll just 
say that I think they're right about this with like something like Genesis one and two and three, it's like, okay, that has its place in ancient literature. And we know differently from science Mm -hmm. or we know different information from science. And so we have to sort of somehow balance those two together. But when it comes to knowledge that comes from like fields like economics, they're like, oh yeah, economics is terrible. We just got to follow the Bible. (laughs) Like they sound like young earth creationists when they say, oh, but look in Acts 2 or look, Romans 13 or whatever, whatever your economic theory is, it's just always going to be subservient to whatever I think the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of the problem is is helping Christians, especially those conservative, you know, more fundamentalist Christians, helping them learn how to see that God's truth isn't only in scripture because right. God God created the world, he created the universe and we can study the universe, we can study the world, we can study all those things. I mean, in in one respect, we can say that economics is grounded in theology, just by virtue of the fact that God created it, God mm-hmm. created the you know the natural law that that orders it. Right. So there's, I think that there's ways that we can talk about these things and talk about the relationship between theology and philosophy, and you know the natural sciences and and things like that. But it's an ongoing conversation. Right. Um, some some references to do a little shameless self promotion here. Uh, I have interviewed Kaplan on immigration, and. Uh, his book is fantastic if you really mm-hmm. do want to get into the the numbers. He's a number cruncher, and, and that was a good discussion. And then as far as the uh, for, for economics, I've interviewed Tom Woods in his book, Church in the Market, which is targeted toward a Catholic audience, but it's almost more of an economics book in, in a lot of ways. I think you can you could read that book and, and not be a Christian and get a lot of value out of it. Yeah. So, you know, th- there are some good thinkers in our, our space who are bridging those uh, those things. And this book is a really good first step as far as bridging a lot of these questions. And mm-hmm. the, the title is is Tough Questions, and you really do. You don't avoid those. And maybe we'll just touch a second. You know, we talk about prostitution and these these stereotype things that I was alluding to at the opening of the show that, that people will say Christian libertarian. And, and when they hear libertarian, they're thinking, these are people who want to legalize prostitution, legalize drugs, and uh, have everybody have an abortion. <laughs> right. I think that's the, that's the stereotype. And, we, yeah. and, and you do tackle these, you know, these moral ethical issues. And, and I think in a very, you, you don't just gloss over them. And of course, especially the section on abortion, which I'm assuming that uh, Carrie was yeah. much responsible for. I mean, you do a great job of fleshing out uh, those, those answers. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think for me, understanding the difference between, you know, the moral vices, those those things that we would consider sinful, but maybe not criminal, uh, learning how to draw the line, you know, between those two things. And also difficult part. I mean, you bring up prostitution on the one hand and abortion on the other. And, you know, prostitution has the aspect of of being a sin against, you know, your own body and against God, but not a sin necessarily against anybody else per se. Mm -hmm. And then you have the problem of abortion, which is conceivably a sin against yourself, a sin against God and a sin against somebody else. Right. And so being able to flesh out those nuances, I mean, it's not, it's not entirely 
black and white as to how we deal with it as a society. Like there's there's this sort of misconception that if we need to deal with something as a society, then we we have to get government involved. And if we yeah. get government involved, then we have to use force. And if we're using right. force, then, you know, and so it just sort of starts the snowball effect. And so the libertarian, especially the Christian libertarian is, is backing up saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Is this actually how we want to deal with these things? Like, yes, right. we can acknowledge their sin. Yes, we can acknowledge, you know, their the morally outrageous aspects of them. But is this how we actually want to deal with them? Is this how the Bible actually calls us to deal with them? You know, here are some of the problems that that come up by using government to try to solve those problems. Is this, you know, is this the way we're supposed to handle it? Is it effective? Let's right. maybe rethink it. And, you know, not to suck up with the guest, but I really do think <laughs> you, Carrie, are doing some of the best work on the abortion issue out there. Thank um, you. It, it's not, it's so refreshing. And, and you and I did a, an episode on this, and I think I probably said this then. It is so refreshing to get a perspective that is not the typical, you know, the, the typical political divide that we've created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, to, and to really look at it in a different way. I want to I want to throw out there a little plug for the quality of this particular chapter, chapter eleven, on abortion. We've been saying all along that these questions are meant to be answered in around two hundred words, right? And I don't know. This may be a plug <laughs> for some people. They may be disappointed, but this section did not follow that rule. So if you are looking for more than a two hundred word answer on abortion then you got it here. Um, If you were looking for succinct answers so that you could, you know, shut up your opponents in like 50 words, you do not have that. (laughs) Yeah. But no, it speaks to the quality of the answers because it it, it is very thorough. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, obviously rules rules can be rules, but we also want to make sure that the answer is well, I would say well answered, but then it just lost my (laughs) sentence structure there. But anyway, we want to make sure the answers are well answered. I'll just go with that. The well, answers are well answered. I think that's uh, that's perfect. I I really appreciate you guys saying that, and I get I get feedback from people all the time about my my position on abortion, and the people that the people really that are responding to me, they are people who have been on either side, who have called themselves, you know pro-choice, but, or pro-life, but like right. they have those, they have those exceptions. They understand it's a complicated issue. They don't quite know how to deal with it. And so they have their default settings. And, and I find this is true of probably most people is that they understand that it's complicated enough. You can't have a straightforward answer one way or the other, and that it has to be nuanced. We have to be able to flesh some of this stuff out. And you know, what I really wanted to do with that chapter was to be able to say, look, we do need to sort of relook at the, you know, take a, take another look at this, reorient ourselves on the, on the topic, because both sides have some legitimate concerns, have some legitimate claims, and both sides have some illegitimate claims and some, right. you know, some problematic solutions. And, you know, in my mind, you know, I think Rothbard was right that property rights disambiguate human rights. And if we go with that, then we can disambiguate the abortion question. Uh-huh. And we can really start to refine and come to a more consistent view of how we deal with abortion as a society. And two of my favorite questions to write were the two questions that said, okay, what do we do with 
women who who commit abortion and what do we do with doctors who commit abortion because I broke right. both of those into two parts. Well, this is what we do if abortion is legal and this is what we do if abortion is illegal. Mm-hmm. And my point in writing that was in part to say our strategy doesn't change whether it's right. legal or illegal. And and then as far as enforcement issues, which I think is one of the major divisive issues when it comes to abortion, we can legitimately say as libertarians, look, even if we agree that abortion should be outlawed, we don't believe that certain you know measures of enforcement should be used because they're cruel and unusual punishment. Right. So at any rate, I've I've really enjoyed being able to flesh this out. I've been very encouraged by the people who will randomly send me messages on on Twitter and Facebook, and it's it's very encouraging and um, you know drives me to to continue fleshing this fleshing this out. Yeah, and that's I, I think you know more broadly this entire book I think takes that that mindset that you know. A lot of this stuff is not simple black and white. Some of it is, but but some things are are much more complicated. And, and politics typically does not allow for nuanced discussion. You know, we divide up into our teams and we yell at each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we dig our feet in and everything becomes black and white. It's it- interesting looking back at my own life in retrospect, I remember that there was a uh, radio talk show host in uh, the Tampa area when I lived there in the 90s who was, I, I really didn't probably recognize it at the time because I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't know anything about libertarians, but I'm pretty sure he was a libertarian, you know, just in, in looking back at the way he enunciated things. And he used to just enrage me because I was very much entrenched in that right wing, religious right, moral majority absolutely no drugs, no prostitution, no abortion, you know, mm-hmm. you're a horrible person if you're doing these things. Uh, and, and so I was one of these people that did not have that nuance. And, and he would just enrage me when he would talk about things like marijuana and, and mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. And, and now it's, you know, I think part of it's getting older and your, your thought process is mature, at least for some people. And, yeah, you know, looking back at like something like marijuana, even something like that, it's, it's not black and white. I, I I would used to say, well, if you're using marijuana, you're sinning. And my tune changed real quick when I discovered that marijuana was an effective treatment for uh, arthritis. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, when I got, have an arthritis, and, and so, you know, I, I'm a, a medical marijuana card holder now. And, uh, you know, so the things, things are nuanced. And this book, I think, if, even if you're not really a libertarian, I think it would be valuable for people to read through this so they can can kind of get another perspective and recognize that this left-right entrenchment that we have created in politics is not the is it's not the only two ways of thinking. Everything is not two-way dichotomy or a bipolar dichotomy. Yeah, well, and I think one thing that I really like about this book and just the the libertarian perspective is that it cuts through that moral outrage. One of the things that I have, you know, learned as I've been doing my Socratic seminars, you know, teaching critical thinking, mm-hmm. is that there's there's these different stages of thinking. And the emotionally charged knee-jerk response is uh, at the level of the unreflective or the challenged thinker, which is mm-hmm. basically people who aren't thinking about 
things. They're allowing their emotions to drive their reactions and sitting back and and thinking through these things and reflecting on them and reflecting on uh, you know facts and consequences and 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 all these other factors that go into any one of these these given situations. And so what I appreciate about this book and what I appreciate about libertarianism is that it causes you to have to reflect on these things. Mm-hmm. And, and so it cuts through that, that moral outrage. It gets you to, um, uh, you know, it gets you in the practice of actually thinking through things, which is what yeah. we need as a society, especially as a free society. We'll, we won't be a free society if we're a bunch of, you know, people who are just knee jerk moral, you know, morally outraged at whatever we hear. Well, I'm morally outraged you said that, so. (laughs) No, the book is fantastic. I highly recommend it. I'm going to let you guys go. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. But before we do that, can you give give folks a timeline for publication? I know there's pre-sales. Pre-sales end real soon, don't they? Will they be? Give me the timeline before I rattle off things that aren't true. Well, Mike, to answer your question, uh, actually, it's available right now. You can order it on Amazon. And if you you know don't remember the title or whatever, you can go to faithseekingfreedom.com or if you can go to libertarianchristians.com, you'll see see it all over there. So yeah, yeah you, can, you can get it right now. Uh, it's available on Kindle and it's also available to order on Softcover. We're doing sort of the on-demand printing through Amazon. So the shipping times are going to probably vary depending on where you live in the country. Yeah. But it is available for $11.99 in Softcover and uh, $9.99 on Kindle. And I will link on the show notes page to the... Uh, Amazon site. So you can just click there and go straight to it because you're going to want to get this book. It feels really good in your hands. You just hold it and you're just like, this looks, this feels really good. The font layout is really good. It's just, it's just an attractive book. I mean, I'm looking at the PDF copy right now and I feel good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, I I really do. I appreciate all of the work that, that you've done. I appreciate, uh, you know, not only with the book, but the work at Libertarian Christian Institute and, it's exciting. I remember when I first discovered LCI and I was like, oh, this is so awesome. This this, this is even a thing. So, yeah. uh, you know, folks who are listening who may not be familiar, and if you're listening to the show regularly, you should be because we talked to Norman just a couple episodes ago. So, but um, yeah, really do appreciate you guys. And, and thanks for taking a little bit of time to talk about the book. Thank you. Yeah, Mike. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. 